Well, good morning, everybody. It is great to see you, and welcome to Alice Drive on this first Sunday of 2024. I want to say a special word of welcome to everybody watching online, and to everybody at our Pacala and Bishopville campus. Um, we started a couple of years ago really picking a theme for the year and found it very helpful. So in 2022, our theme was putting our hope in Christ. And then last year, we talked about finding the peace of Jesus Christ. And this year, I want us to spend some time thinking deeply about faith. What does it mean to have faith in Jesus? What does it mean to walk by faith and not by sight? Now, the reason I want us to spend some time on faith is because in case you haven't heard, 2024 is an election year. And during this year, you're going to hear a lot of voices say, put your faith in a political candidate because that political candidate will solve your problems. I would gently suggest to you that politicians cannot solve your problems. They can create some for you, but they can't really solve them. I believe that as Jesus followers, we are going to be pulled by people who will tell us, you must vote for this candidate or this candidate, or you're really not a Christian. And that's a lie. Because being a Christian is about following Jesus Christ. And that needs to be the focus of every follower to continue to think about Jesus as our leader, not a politician. Here's the second reason I think that we need to talk about faith this year. I think we need to talk about faith because increasingly our culture is hostile to people of faith. It's funny to me that our culture insists on being tolerant, and yet in the name of tolerance, people are becoming less tolerant of people of faith. We are becoming identified not as believers, but as a voting block. And this should not be so. Philip Yancey, the Christian writer, wrote this. He said, every year the church in the United States draws closer and closer to the situation faced by the New Testament church, an embattled minority living in a pluralistic pagan society. Now, I'm not a doomsdayer, but I think what Yancey's pointing to is a pluralistic pagan society is one where people say, it does not matter what you believe as long as you believe something. And yet we know that's not true. If I stand on the roof of this building and sing, I believe I can fly, do you think I should jump and fly? Yeah, thank all of you who are concerned in my safety. A couple of you are thinking, yeah, Pastor, I think it'd be a really good idea for you. I believe that we must become accustomed to being the minority in our culture and be an authentic voice of witness. Now here's a third reason I think we need to talk about faith is people are becoming more anxious. People are more anxious these days. We're made anxious by the news. We're made anxious by the world situation. We're made anxious even what can we trust and who can we trust. There's an erosion of trust in our institutions. And hardly a week goes by, it seems like that you you don't read about some pastor caught in some scandal somewhere, much less politicians and governmental leaders. I noticed uh, last night, my wife and I ate at Five Guys, and we were uh, talking about the world situation, and as we got to talking, I became more anxious. And I, I started eating the french fries faster and faster and faster, because we all know that the best way to deal with anxiety is french fried potatoes. No, not really. What's the antidote for anxiety? It's faith. Faith in Jesus Christ. The last reason I think we need to talk about faith this year is because we live in an age where people 
want to create truth instead of accept truth. What do I mean by that? You see, when you unhinge from the idea that there is absolute truth, you can create your own narrative. You can create your own version of truth. And I think that is actually why we have more anxiety. And in this time when we are getting the idea we can create truth for ourselves, we can begin to create God as who we want him to be instead of who he actually is. And so we need to be clear about who our faith is placed in. Now, because of all of this, let's be clear about what faith is and faith in Jesus Christ. Frederick Buechner, the Christian writer, put it this way, faith is better understood as a verb than a noun, as a process than a possession. Faith is not being sure where you're going, but going anyway. Now, for us as followers of Jesus Christ, what this means is we will better understand faith, not by just talking about it, by actually doing it. And it means we will follow Jesus even when we don't quite understand where he is leading us, even if we have questions. Faith requires movement. That is why our church's mission is to help as many people as possible take their next step toward Jesus Christ. Because we are followers, not sitters. And this year, I want to challenge you to take a bold step of faith in following Jesus Christ. Now, some general observations about faith. First of all, everybody has faith. Everybody has faith. Even if you say, I don't have faith in anything, you have faith in nothing. Make sense? Let me flesh this out for you. So if somebody says, I believe in science, they believe science holds the ultimate answers for their life. If, if someone says, I believe there is no God, then they are essentially saying, I believe that the probability and the evidence that suggests there is a God can be explained another way. An evolutionist believes in mathematical chance resulting in the intricacies of creation. Everybody believes in something. Second thing, faith is better experienced than explained. Now, we've already talked about this. Let's say, for example, I have a friend named Ed. Why do I think Ed is my friend? You see, Ed might have a hidden motive. He might be after my money. Or Ed might... Uh, want to involve me in some pyramid scheme where I'm selling something and he benefits. Or, or maybe Ed is just waiting for that night when I leave my door unlocked and now he knows where everything in my house is and he can come in and steal me blind. So why do I believe Ed is my friend? Because there is something that I experience when I'm with him. I experience communication. I experience vulnerability. I experience trust. Ed has proven himself that his interest in me is not threatening. That's why I believe Ed is my friend. I can't explain it, I can experience it. Here's the third thing, and, and this is important because we often get misled. Faith is not opposed to rational thinking. Sometimes people will say, well, you just need to have more faith, or the reason why God didn't answer your prayers is because you didn't have enough faith. It's like faith is a commodity you can buy down at the faith store. It's not true. 
Something is, a better way maybe to understand faith is to understand it as looking at the, where the evidence points. Faith is looking at where evidence points, where evidence leads you. And so when we look around, what is the best explanation for the things, the phenomena that we see and we observe? We have to ask ourselves, have I accepted someone else's definition of reality without doing the investigation work on my own? Have I not done the work myself? So several years ago, a college student came home for the holidays and uh, said, Pastor Clay, can I talk to you for a minute? Sure. And he said, my English professor said the Bible is a myth. What, what, what do you think I ought to do? How do you think I ought to respond to her? And I said, well, first thing, how are your grades? <laughs> and I said, Here, here's the thing. When an English professor says something like that, they, they believe that they understand myth, and they probably do in some sense, but they've not actually done their work when it comes to the Bible, because the Bible does not read like ancient myths. You can read the stories in Genesis and then read the comparable literature in Sumerian mythical legends, Babylonian mythical legends, Egyptian mythical legends, and they are not the same genre of literature. And he said, what does the word genre mean? I said, type. It's not the same type of literature. He goes, okay. I said, now I know what your great English is. <laughs> and I went on and I said, read the Gospels. The Gospels do not read like myth. They read like story. In fact, the biblical literature is more like modern history than any other ancient work. The epistles of Paul are not legend. They're instructions to a group of believers. So actually do your homework and find out what this book is about before you dismiss it as a myth because a professor said so. You've got to do the work yourself. And here's the last thing I think we need to remember, that the more you exercise your faith, the stronger it becomes. The more you exercise your faith, the stronger it actually becomes. Now, it's gonna hurt at first when you exercise your faith. I know a lot of you have decided to get in shape for Christmas or for the new year, good for you. You, you have started jogging and walking and lifting weights. And I, I am proud of you for doing that. We're doing some of that at my house, which means now when we get out of bed every morning, we have snap, crackle, pop moments, rice crispy moments, right? You see, when you start to exercise your faith, it's gonna hurt a little bit. And this is the reason why some of you will not grow. You're afraid of the pain. And I wanna be honest with you, if you really choose to grow your faith, it is going to challenge you, stretch you, you will feel some pain. But what I also know is that whatever or whoever you put your faith in, it will grow stronger over time. I have a friend who is an agnostic, and we've talked enough. He shared with me that, that, you know, when he was growing up, his dad was abusive, cruel, critical, and religious. That is a toxic mix. And I understand, or at least I think I understand, that my friend's rejection of God is not so much a rejection of God, but a rejection of his dad. And here's the interesting thing. Over the years, I have seen my friend's belief get stronger because that's what he believes. 
Now, if you flip it and say, okay, what about a person who actually believes God is love, God is gracious, God is forgiving, if you believe that and live that out, will it get stronger over time? Yes, because you will actually see that reality. Now, we're going to dive into three verses in the Bible that are going to help us think even deeper about faith. So if you have a Bible, turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to look at the first three verses. Hebrews is a different kind of book in the New Testament. It is not a gospel. It's not a story of Jesus. It's not an epistle. It's not a letter. It is a sermon. We don't know who preached it. But somebody thought enough of it that it was written down and it was included in the New Testament. And we have this great definition of faith. And then the rest of chapter 11 is always often known as the Hall of Fame of Faith because it gives us examples of people in the Old Testament who have great faith. But we're going to dive in in verse 1 and then look quickly at verse 2 and then verse 3. Verse 1, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Now this is our memory verse for this year. And so let's start by saying it together. And, and can I just tell you that in the other two services, everybody was kind of anemic and still asleep. They had not yet had enough caffeine. But the 11 o'clock service, you are awake. Thank you. Students, the students are awake. Old people, wake up. Thank you. All right, let's read this together. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. There are two truths the preacher is trying to get across to us. Here's the first one. Faith looks forward. If you have faith, you are living out the first part of this verse. It is the confidence in what we hope for. Confidence, a foundation, a guarantee. You are going forward. That's what it means to follow Jesus Christ. I, I think about the day we burned the mortgage for this building in 2019. On that day, the charter members of our church, we invited them to come forward and hold the papers of the mortgage as we lit them on fire. And the reason we did this is because we wanted to honor those people who in 1956 said there needs to be a church on the western side of Sumter. And we'll name it Alice Drive. And then we will never be on Alice Drive in our history. <laughs> but those people actually had a vision. They could not conceive of what God would do. And I wanted to honor them for that faith that looked forward, that believed, that had confidence in what they hoped for. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, what this means is your sin and your guilt do not hold you back. Jesus Christ has set you free. You are not controlled by shame. You are not controlled by mistakes in the past. You are living forward. You have a forward orientation. That's why the Apostle Paul will say, forgetting what lies behind and pressing on toward what lies ahead. That is our mindset as followers of Christ. We trust there is a victory that belongs to us, and we are claiming it. Now, we may have setbacks. I was talking to a guy I know who's an alcoholic. He said, I relapsed. That's on me. But my God has already bought me a victory. I now need to live toward that victory. 
I, I love that because he, though he had relapsed, he claimed some grace and he pressed forward and said, I'm not going to let that past define me. Now, this also means I'm going to trust that what Jesus tells me to do in the future is the right thing to do, even if I don't understand it, even if I may not agree with it. I'm going to trust that Jesus knows more about how to live my life than I do. So a real-life example of this for me, uh, over the last month, I have been really convicted about being judgmental. Um, And I, I do that, I think, because it is a way for me to feel superior, and it's kind of fun to be judgmental, to look down your nose at people and say, I can't believe you're doing that. And God has convicted me that that is not helping me be like Jesus. When I am judgmental, I am not humble, I am not kind, I am not loving. So I I have sensed from God this command, stop it. And then God's given me a lot of opportunity over the last few days to stop it. I've told you this before, my my stepfather, who's, who's a good man, but he was a person of his generation and he could be a little critical. He, he could be critical, he was critical. And so he, if he saw someone dressed eccentrically or particularly a guy with really long hair, and remember this is like in the 70s when that was really a thing, he, he would say, well, ain't that pretty? And he did not say it in an admiring way. You know, well, ain't that pretty? And so right after God really had said to me, I want you to quit being judgmental, uh, we were in this store and a guy comes in, it's cold outside, right? He's wearing shorts, flip-flops, a pink t-shirt, and his hair is down to his waist. And I looked at him and I thought, well, ain't that, and it caught myself. I caught myself. It's like there was this spiritual check. It's like, what are you about to do, Clay? Well, you're about to judge him. And I actually turned it into a moment of prayer. I said, God, why why do I want to judge this guy? Why do I want to judge this guy? When you ask God a question, be ready for the answer. Because I feel real clear about what the answer was. I said, God, why do I want to judge this guy for his his shorts and his pink t-shirt and his long hair? And God said to me, envy. You know, it really is better to live without being judgmental. It'll help me be more like Jesus. Now, now faith also means looking forward, trusting Jesus means I'm going to trust him for my heavenly destination. I'm going to trust that, that he is leading me ultimately to eternal life. And we have so many flawed ideas about heaven. What's going to make heaven great is not seeing your relatives who have passed on. And that will be nice, grant you. What's going to make heaven so great is you're not going to be tempted anymore. You're not going to sin anymore. You're not going to carry shame or guilt. All of those wounds, those sinful habits you have are going to be healed. Some of you are not going to know how to live without that stress and that burden. And that's why you need to start living as if heaven is reality now. You know, you're going to get along with everybody in heaven. Don't you think you ought to practice now? Because God has a sense of humor. He really does. 
And you might find yourself sitting next to somebody in heaven you're really not comfortable with. And God's going to say, surprise. Faith looks forward. Which leads me to ask, what is God going to ask you to work on in 2024? I mean, you need to take a step forward in faith. You need to believe in the future that God's going to do something this year that can radically change your life. What's it going to be? Now, there's another thing this verse teaches us. And the second part of the verse says, we have assurance about what we do not see. The word assurance means evidence. It means proof. And the unseen are things that are real, but we have not yet verified their reality. Years ago, in the 70s and 80s, uh, somewhere in there, um, my parents bought a lot in a development in the mountains of North Carolina. Their plan was to build a cabin there, meet friends there, for different reasons that never happened. So the lot just sat there. They paid taxes on it their entire lives. When my parents passed away, uh, my brother, sister, and I inherited that lot. We had never seen it. How did we know it was real? Evidence suggested it was real, like the tax bill that came every year, the HOA maintenance fee, the amenities fee. We paid those every year, even though we had never seen the lot. We could have been victims of some scam. All right, fast forward a few years. My daughter gets married at a Christmas tree farm, and it's 10 miles from where this lot is. So when we were preparing for the wedding, I said, can we go see the lot? I've heard about this. We've paid for this all these years. I want to see it. And so I, I found it. We went. It was real. Just because I had never seen it didn't mean it didn't exist. Now, when we got there, I saw that the lot was, you know, about a third of it was flat. A third of it was a very steep hill. And a third of it was a cliff. I claimed the flat part. <laughs> My brother and sister were on their own. Faith sees the unseen. That's the second thing that faith is about. You see, you look, what does the evidence suggest? Do you see any evidence of God? And some of us can look inside and say, yes, I see evidence of God. I see that there are sins that have been forgiven. I don't carry some of the weight, some of the guilt I used to carry. I have seen the power of God change my life, change my desires. I've seen God give me strength. An old Englishman was asked if he'd ever seen God do a miracle. He said, yes, I have seen God turn beer into furniture. They asked him what he meant. He said, I was an alcoholic. And then one day I realized I needed the help of a power greater than myself. And God gave that to me. And the beer I used to drink now provides the furniture that is in this house where before there was nothing. Some of you will know that God exists and God is real and that his reality is real because that is where the evidence points. You, you look at a child who is born and you realize that is a miracle. You look at the blessing of your health, you realize that is a miracle. You look at the wonder of creation and you think, how do the trees know when to change colors? 
How does a seed know when to come out of the ground? How do the stars know how to keep on course? And you say, well, that's gravity. That's what I learned in physics. Well, then why are some planets so oriented to the sun that they cannot sustain life, but there's this one little blue ball that can? What does the evidence show us? Helen Keller said, I can see in what you call the dark, but which to me is golden. I can see a God-made world, not a man-made world. And so when you follow Jesus, you are invited to trust what you cannot see. You are invited to, to have your spirit, your soul open to a broader reality. To trust something in your own experience that says, yes, there is a God. Have you ever ridden an airplane at night? They turn on those landing lights when you're coming in and, and the lights on the wings come on and you can look out the window and all you see is just white, the clouds, like a bunch of cotton. This is a view in a cockpit of some people, a pilot's coming in for a landing. And you notice it's pretty foggy and you can just barely see the lights. You can't even really see the runway. Now, those of you who know anything about flying know that the pilots are not looking out the window at this point. What are they looking at? Their instruments. See, because your sight and your inner ear, which is where you get your sense of perception of depth, and balance, they can deceive you. Pilots have been deceived and have flown into the sides of mountains because they trusted what they could see and their own inner ear orientation rather than their instruments. Following Jesus means I will trust what he tells me, not just what I see outside. Because in this era, we are often told that we are to trust our feelings. And I suppose it's true, we need to be aware of our feelings. That's not a bad thing. But to trust your feelings to define reality, that's not a good thing. For example, I can confuse my feelings with what reality actually is. My wife comes in and she doesn't speak to me, and what do I assume? She's mad at me. And so if she's mad at me, what am I doing? I'm trying to figure out what I've done wrong, right? But what if she's not mad at me? What if she just had a bad day at work? Should I lash out at her and say, I haven't done anything wrong? And she would look at me and say, I know you haven't done anything wrong. Then why are you so mad at me? I'm not mad at you. Well, you act mad at me. And before long, she's mad at me for thinking that I'm mad at her. Or she's mad at me. It gets very confusing sometimes. So let's deal in reality and see the unseen. Now, we've defined faith. Verse two is gonna set the stage for the rest of chapter 11. Uh, the preacher says, this is what the ancients were commended for. Now this sets up the rest of chapter 11, where he's gonna go through these great examples of people in the Old Testament who had faith. We are not gonna go through all of those today, but starting next week, we are going to begin a series called Leaps. It's about leaps of faith that people in the Old Testament made, and we're gonna start with Noah, and then we'll talk about Abraham, we will talk about Moses, David, 
and we will see some of the great steps of faith that people take. Now, verse three, before we move into those real life people who made real life steps of faith, the writer of Hebrews, the preacher of Hebrews, invites us to consider evidence. Verse three, by faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Okay, I'm gonna take you back to science and physics. Most of you are aware of what is known as the Big Bang Theory, that the universe began with dense matter and then a quark moved and that clause caused a tremendous explosion of energy and the universe began to expand and physicists have recently discovered that the universe is still expanding. It's not contracting. Now, the question that physics and science cannot answer, where did the dark or the dense matter come from? And if you ask a physicist and they're honest, they'll say they don't know. They're not equipped to provide that answer. But what does evidence suggest? Do you ever know of anything that is made from nothing and creates something? No, that is not in our human experience. We only know of being able to create things with things. So the evidence would suggest that someone, some entity, had to create that which exists. We believe his name is God. That he was the one who made this world. Not only that, that he guided the creation of this world. Now we're not gonna get into all the argument about did he do it through evolution or did he just speak? Here's my answer to that question. God created the world any way he wanted to. That's the great part about being God. But I do think we have to understand that, that this world shows evidence of a design. I remember talking to an ear, nose, and throat guy, and he was explaining to me the, how the ear works, and how those little bones vibrate, and they're attached to nerve endings, and those nerve endings go into your brain, and your brain's able to process sound, and here's the miracle of it, you're not even thinking about it. It just happens like that. What are the mathematical probabilities that you randomly evolved to be able to have such a finely crafted hearing mechanism and system in your nerves, your brain, and your ears. Or take the eyeball. I mean, what I remember about eyes is that they have cones and rods, and then those connect to optical nerves, and they process images. And, and you may know this, that babies initially see everything upside down, and they have to learn to reframe it right side up. Did that just mathematically happen by probability? What does the evidence suggest? See, if you're skeptical, you may be uncomfortable with some of these thoughts, but I would encourage you to go to the most logical answer. And that is something does not happen out of nothing. There must be somebody who created something. Now, you may have heard all of this and said, okay, so what? So what, Clay? What am I supposed to do with all this? This year, I wanna challenge every one of you, every one of you watching online, every one of you in Bishopville and Pacala, I wanna challenge every one of you to take a next step in faith toward Jesus. 
I want you to take a next step in faith toward Jesus. You say, well, well, what is it? I don't know. I know there are common next steps that people need to take. You've already heard Kevin talk about getting into a group, Group Connect. I really want to encourage you to do that. A group is where you're going to find community, you're going to find connection. Some of you need to commit to read the Bible every day. Instead of just hearing people talk about it, read it for yourself. Study it. Some of you need to create a list of people that you're going to pray for on a regular basis. Some of you need to give a percentage of your income to the Lord this year. You've been giving sporadically, you need to give regularly. Uh, Some of you need to invite somebody to church. Like if this sermon has been interesting to you and you're thinking, I wish so-and-so were here to hear it, that's the reason we have Monday night. So you can come back, bring your friend, and say, if you will come back and listen to this sermon, I will take you out to eat. Now, you don't have to tell them where you'll take them out to eat. But hey, you know, it might be helpful to your friend. Maybe this is the year where God is really speaking to you, kind of like he did with me, that you need to stop a sinful habit, like judging people. But maybe that's not yours. Maybe yours is is more like, I need to quit lusting. And you're saying, but I'm a guy, I can't help it. (laughs) Okay, first of all, fastest growing segment of pornography users are women from 25 to 45. Second, you do have power through God to no longer see people as sexual objects. And maybe you would say, okay, I need to stop another sinful habit that's more like an addiction. That means you might need to get in a 12-step group. Maybe you need to forgive that person who hurt you deeply. And you say, I don't even want to think about that. Well, maybe you need to. It could be that, that you have heard about the gospel, but now you've at the point where you realize you really need to take that next step and accept Jesus as your Savior. Or maybe you've done that. You need to be baptized. Here's what I know is true for everybody. You've got a next step. And I want to challenge you to take that next step forward in faith. So here's a prayer, a model prayer that we can pray. Heavenly Father, show me my next step of faith. Heavenly Father, show me my next step of faith. Now I'm going to do something we don't usually do but because this is, this is really a big deal, I want to challenge you to do this today. So what we're going to do in a minute, not just yet, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. This is to create privacy. And then I'm just going to ask you if you will commit to pray this prayer. Heavenly Father, show me my next step of faith. Now, sometimes when we do this, you're worried that I'm going to keep my eyes open and look and say, oh boy, he didn't raise his hand. He needs to. I'm not going to do that. I'll close my eyes too, Okay. And don't just do this because it's kind of we're in church and you feel the pressure. But if honestly there is a stirring in your heart and you say, okay, I think I really do need to pray, God, show me my next step of faith. I just want you to raise your hand. It's a simple, physical act that will connect your commitment to God. So let's bow our heads. Close our eyes if you can. And right now, if you would say, I will pray that prayer. Heavenly Father, show me my next step of faith. And I'll put my faith in Jesus and take it. If you'll make that, will you just raise your hand to God? Just a quick sign of commitment to him. Just raise your hand. 
Father, you know what is behind each hand that is raised. And you know what the next step is, so reveal it to us. Stir in our hearts so that we know what it is. I want to pray especially for people who need to accept Jesus as their Savior, their Lord. I want to pray, Father, especially for people who need to take that step of baptism, give them courage. But I know, God, every next step is important. And so, God, we commit to have faith enough to take that next step. In Jesus' name, amen.